It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny. Interviews, analytics, and analysis on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Grant Paul. Danny Ruye and producer Darius Dameron, an emergency bust and loose baseball. Juan Soto and Josh Bell were both traded in the same trade to the same team, San Diego Padres, for six players returning to the Nationals. Quite a haul, but after weeks of speculation, it happened. Yeah, just like I said yesterday, it wasn't going to happen. Oh, wait, it happened. I don't know, man. What a complicated thing. Right, because and you said this on our regular show, Grant and Danny on 106.7 The Fan, and I think it was a very astute point. You're dead right. This is a seminal day in Nationals history, not in a good way necessarily. It's complicated, obviously, but this is one of those days you're going to remember. You were before this. It was you know when they won the World Series. You remembered when Steven Strasburg and Bryce Harper were drafted. You remember Jason Worth's home run. You remember when Max Scherzer was signed. This is now one of those. All-time days where the franchise really bottomed out after that World Series in 2019. They've been among the worst teams in baseball since then. All the old faces are gone. This is really a slamming of the door and end of that chapter where one of the best players through his age, 23, in the history of this game, his comparables are guys like Stan Musial, guys like Mickey Mantle. Uh, Some of the all-time players have accomplished what he did through this age. It's very, very rare He's now the only guy that's ever been traded at this age or younger in the same year he was an all-star. And the hall is impressive. We'll go through it all. But, man, oh, man, what what a strange day for, for people that follow this team and for fans. Yeah, so before we get into the return and the players coming back to Washington and some prospects that I really like and a couple of young big leaguers as well, one of whom, Mackenzie Gore, as I mentioned, you'll hear we did a quick interview with not long after the trade went down on our show on 106.7 The Fan. But trading Juan Soto. Man, is this tough. I mean, we're talking about one of the greatest young players in baseball right now, obviously, and all time to this point of his career. Generational talent who has a chance to go down is one of the best to ever play. I mean, really, legitimately, that's what we're talking about. The comparisons for him in terms of on-base percentage and OPS and the uh, offensive excellence to this point in his career four seasons in are comps that only really work if you put him side-by-side with some of the greatest of all time, Ted Williams and and Jimmy Fox and Honus Wagner and names like that that are first ballot Hall of Famers and and among the best to ever do it. So it is hard to trade Juan Soto. And if you guys are listening to this and you are sad, I agree. And if you're angry, 
I get that too. I don't think we can talk about trading Juan Soto and not getting a deal done with him to keep him for the long term without also talking about Trey Turner before that and Rendon before that and Harper before that and the fact that last year you had to see Max Scherzer traded. This has not been a fun few years for this fan base post-19 and post the World Series. And I totally get where the disdain and the anger and the upset is coming from. I just think that it was a reality, Danny, that Juan Soto was never going to resign. I came to that realization a few weeks ago. And if that's the case, and maybe I'm wrong, okay? And if I'm wrong about that, then I'm wrong about the rest of my theory here. But if I am right and he was not going to resign, then the best time to trade Juan Soto was right now. I keep reciting this because I love it from mm-hmm. Fangraphs, but they said that the best time to trade Juan Soto is never. And the second best time is right now. And I, I really believe that. Like, yes, sign him. Do whatever it takes. When you find out he's not re-signing because he and Boris are going to break every record and get to the market. And I really believe that was the plan. Okay. Now I got to trade him. And I think that's what Rizzo decided. That's what the staff decided. And what they did was immediately they sent out a memo to every team and said, let us know if you're in. And the Cardinals, the Dodgers, and the Padres were the three that were most in. The Cardinals, it doesn't sound like, would include Dylan Carlson or Jordan Walker. The Padres and the Dodgers were the two teams that went back and forth. And here we are, man. The the Padres gave me the best offer, which is not crazy or surprising because A.J. Preller is that dude. There are two ends to this uh, spectrum and refrains that you're hearing from people in, in all the different camps when it comes to Soto. And refrain number one is, the team that trades away the superstar, it never works out for them. Right? You've heard that a bunch. We'll get into it. The other end is, Paying a guy a mega contract doesn't usually work out for the team that does that, a.k.a. 550, 600, 650. Who knows where this uh, wheel stops spinning for, for Juan Soto and company and the challenge they're in to build. I mean, look at the Angels as as great examples. They've done this multiple, multiple times over with Mike Trout, with uh, uh, Anthony Rendon, with Albert Pujols. They haven't been very good. They've been a second division club. It's hard to build around those kinds of things. Everything is challenging uh, when you have somebody making that much money in you know this sort of salary cap style, luxury tax uh, type area that we're in, unless you're one of those teams that's kind of make up their own rules when it comes to TV deals like the Dodgers and, and, and the Yankees and, and such. So... There's a no-win situation here. If you operate from, which you and I have for for a while now, I, I think maybe I, I was you know, on this for a long time, there was no offer that the, you, this organization realistically could put in front of Juan Soto that they were going to sign before free agency. I really believe that, and I believe that for some time. I think he's going to be a free agent. And if you're competing for championships, if they were the top of the division, this would not be a conversation right now. If you were as good as you were, averaging about 92 wins a year for eight years from 2012 through 2019, we're not having this conversation. The bottom has fallen out. There are no reinforcements coming up from the minor leagues. There are no, there are no more Juan Sotos. There's no more guy that's next. There's no more this dude will help uh, carry the load, etc. This is something that makes a lot of practical sense. So, again, there was no win. There's no way to get 100 cents on the dollar for a, a, a future Hall of Famer in his prime that's in rarefied air there's no way to win necessarily if you paid him everything that he asked for and more in two and a half years I really believe that I don't think the Nationals could rebuild their organization you all of a sudden say okay let's say they spent 650 million bucks on the guy over 15 years whatever the asking price happens to be 50 million a year who knows whatever it is right you're then basically saying for 10 years just now we just finished a run where they didn't draft very well didn't develop very well 
Now you have to do that because one guy is making an outrageous amount of money for your team. You've got to have 10,000 times the shooting percentage on prospects coming up through your organization that you've had before. You've got to be right way more often than you are. So you can't have a single Carter Keyboom, a single Victor Robles, a single guy that underachieves. Otherwise, you got no chance to have a, a competitive roster year over year over year. This is painful because they've lost all the other guys before him. This isn't fun, but this is team building. And this is one of those band-aids you have to rip right off, in my opinion. Totally, but... I just think that if you're a fan today, like the, the emotions are so mixed. Of course I mean, they are, yes. We took calls from people who were on the verge of tears, right? We took calls from people that didn't know what to say to their kids. Like, I would hate to have a son or a daughter who loves this team who's 7, 8, 9, 10 years old. My daughter's 3, so she doesn't really get what a trade is, but she knows two names of players on this team, Juan Soto and Josh Bell, literally. And I said to her, I said, hey, they're trading Juan Soto today probably. And she was like, oh, Josh Bell. And I said, well, they're probably trading him too. And she pretended to cry and, and got very sad. Now, I told her Screech was still there and everything was okay. But you know, there is something to it at some point. Like, I got a text from David Elfin, who wrote for a long time, Washington Times, and he made an interesting point to me where he said, basically, since 2006, there's always been a guy to go see with Ryan Zimmerman. Yep. There's always been someone at the ballpark from RFK on where that was Mr. National. That was the reason to be at the ballpark that day. It was Zim, then it was Bryce or Strauss or Max. For a while, it was a lot of guys, honestly. Rendon and Turner, and then it was Soto. And for the first time, really, since probably before Zim graduated, I mean, think about that. Yeah. This is the earliest couple of weeks, months of the Nats. Like, there's no one there. And that's not very cool. Uh, and that's not great for the fans. And, and for that reason, I hope that they do lower ticket prices, honestly. It's not my job to, to make that call, but... You know, next year they shouldn't be charging the same for season tickets or or daily games. We just saw the thing about the you know referencing the the top five ticket prices. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not a great time to be a Nats fan. Obviously, uh, having said that, here's the flip side of all this. I think they're in better shape organizationally today than they were 48 hours ago. I believe that they have a chance to be good in 2024 now, in a way that they maybe didn't before this deal. I really like the return they got. They flooded their system. Uh, Fangraphs is just one metric. You know, they they rank all the systems. Eric Longenhagen we've had on the podcast. But they had the Nats ranked, I think, 25th out of 30 teams going into today. And they're now ranked 8th after this trade. And if you include Mackenzie Gore, who's literally just recently graduated within the last few weeks beyond prospect status, then they're actually 5th. You know, they went from like 25 to 5. I was looking at MLB Pipeline, and... You know, the Nationals' number one, number four, and number eight prospects in their system are the three guys they got back in this minor league deal in Hassel, Wood, and Susana, which isn't to speak of Gore, who would be in the top three, and Abrams, who would be in the top three. You know, so really you're talking about like five of the top ten guys in their organization come from this deal. It is an, a complete game changer. Yes. Mike Rizzo said, I would consider making the trade if I can change the game, if I can help us to win now and beyond. Well, this isn't a franchise-altering, kind of industry-altering, maybe, package. Like, we've never seen anything like this. They got more back than any team has ever gotten back in compensation in a trade of a, a veteran player. It's because they traded a 23-year-old All-Star, which hasn't happened, and, you know, they traded a player the likes of which we haven't really seen move since... I don't even know when, like Babe Ruth or something. I'm, I'm not sure, but I mean, I mean, that's not hyperbole. That's serious. Yeah. 
I mean, really. I mean, Miguel Cabrera is the best recent comp, but that's not even a particularly good one. But let's talk about the, the package, and maybe we can come back to the big picture Nat stuff in a bit. So you get Robert Hassel, who's an outfielder right now in A-plus ball. James Wood, who is an outfielder in A-ball. Jarlin Susana, who is a rookie ball 18-year-old right-handed pitcher. And then Abrams and Gore, as well as Luke Voigt, who will be in the major leagues the rest of this season. Big-time homer, 22 home runs in the pandemic year. 2020 season, yeah. Who was only put into the deal because Eric Hosmer said he wasn't coming to D.C. <laughs> Had a no-trade clause and basically said no. Which worked out fine because even though they were going to pick up his three years and his $39 million, you know, Hosmer's a better player than than um, than Voight, but whatever. I mean, you, you get a guy with some thump that can hit the ball over the fence. Really, the deal has nothing to do with him. I mean, he'll be here. He's controllable. I'd imagine they'll keep him you know, rather than flipping him this offseason, but we'll see. Uh, he'll play a lot of first base in DH the rest of this season, and they'll reassess. But let's talk about the five guys that truly matter here, with all due respect to Voight. So starting with Robert Hassel. I just watched him in the Futures game. He's 20 years old. He's a left-handed bat. He was the eighth pick for the Padres in the 2020 draft. About 6'2 and 200. He's got a plus hit tool with average power. He's an above-average runner. He's got an above-average arm, and he's an above-average fielder. He's played center field and can play some corner outfield. Whether or not he stays in center is a question mark. We can ask Jim Callis about that. You'll hear the breakdown he gives you on Robert Hassel in a bit. He's the prospects expert. But this is a guy who was the first Tennessee prep player Selected in the first round since 1986. I mean, he's been breaking barriers for a while in his region. And then on Team USA, in the under-18 World Cup in South Korea, he led the team in every category. 514 average, 548 slug, 886, um, 886 slug, and a 548 on base. Uh, really, really good player. One of the top probably 20 prospects in the game. One of the better hitters in the minors. He... Feels like a centerpiece. Probably not the highest ceiling guy in the deal, but certainly the surest. Bet. Highest floor, I'd say, be right? like a really good big leaguer. So you've you've seen a lot more than I have, obviously, but the comp that comes to mind for me is Michael Brantley, right? Occasional power, but it's really bat to ball. Pretty smooth. Probably a better defender, ultimately, maybe, than, than, than Brantley settled into, but a good major league hitter, right? Where a guy that's can, you know, can hit towards the top of a, of a really good order one day. Is that a fair kind of assessment, would you say? I don't hate that. I've never heard that. That's pretty. I mean, that's interesting to me because yeah, he's he's an. I think he's a hit tool guy more. Maybe than over he's a power straight guy. pop. Yeah, like I'm thinking he hits 300 with 22 bombs or something and plays a good outfield. That feels like Brantley. Yeah. So and left-handed bat. So that that all works. Career 301 hitter for t- two seasons now in the minors. Uh, 11 homers last year. He's got 10 this year, uh, having played in uh, 75 games, and he's also got 20 steals. He stole 34 bags last year. That's the only issue I have with Brantley is Brantley's never really run. No. Maybe early in his career a little bit. But, I mean, this guy could – I think he's a 2020 player in the big leagues. Uh, I'd love to see him stay in center field because his value even humps up a level mm-hmm. and, and kind of jumps if he stays there. But I think he probably moves to a corner. But, you know, if you were asking me to rank, like, my top 15 or so players in the minors right now, I would name Robert Hassel. He comes back in this deal. A man crush of mine for a little while has been James Wood, who also is in this package. Now, there is way more guesswork here, okay? He's more raw. He's further away. He's 19 years old. A left-handed bat. Hassel was drafted eighth overall two years ago. Wood was drafted 62nd overall last year. Actually would have been drafted a lot higher out of IMG Academy, but some teams thought 
They might not be able to sign him, and there's some swing and miss questions that he's since answered with a swing adjustment. But if, if he was in this year's draft, I think he would go in the top 10. I really believe that. Uh, that just passed. But he's massive, like judgy in, right? Like yep. 6'7", 240, and an unbelievable athlete. He played basketball locally at St. John's College High School in D.C., and he transferred to IMG Academy where he was teammates with Elijah Green, who the Nationals just drafted. Uh, he got first-round money, over $2.5 million, even though he was picked 62nd. The Padres kind of knew what they were getting. Uh, he is a... I think the biggest question about him is the hit tool. It's why I didn't love him coming out, and I was wrong about him. I now love him, and it's too late to, to buy stock. Uh, it costs too much. But, like, the power is legit, and that's plus, above average. The run is plus at 6'7", which is crazy. And the arm in the outfield and his fielding ability are both above average, in my opinion. The only question is, is this guy going to hit? Now, this year, he's hitting 321. Last year, he hit 372, so it's funny to say that. It's low levels of the minors, rookie ball and A ball. And he's played 81 games, and he's got a 336 career batting average. But it's but easy if, to dream on. yeah. Oh, yeah. But if you deal with more velocity with the long levers, I mean, you could speak more to swing mechanics mm-hmm. than I can. Like, it's hard for guys that are that size. There just aren't that many guys that are 6'7 or bigger who have been great hitters. What I think ultimately is this guy hits 30 homers, could steal 30 bases, maybe. Like, that's what you dream on. And maybe hits 275 along the way, plays corner outfield. There's a chance he becomes a star. So I'll shut up now, but I mean, I, I just love James Wood. I, I could talk about him forever. I think he might go to Fredericksburg, it sounds like, right away, which gives me the steamies to go down 95. Well, it's certainly enticing because, again, they don't make many guys like this. He probably got lost on the way to tight end practice and ended yeah. up with a bat in his hand and is now just hitting tanks. But the Judge is obviously the comp. I mean, Stanton as well, I suppose, but both guys could have been, you know, Division One football players catching passes, and of course, you, you you bulk up enough and you get bat to ball. When you're that big and strong, simplification is the key, right? Small guys like I don't know, you could pick like we have Adam Eaton on coming up later on. Adam Eaton's going to have to have a leg kick. Adam Eaton's going to have to have a big load. He's going to have to have a big hip turn, and he's got to guess right and open up and you know get barrel to ball and get the right launch angle. You could flick your wrists if you're Aaron Judge. You could just make contact on the barrel and your fly balls that would be lazy 250-foot flyouts for everyone else or 420-foot wall scrapers for you out of center field. He's got a chance to be an absolute superstar. And and it pairs well, frankly, with Elijah Green as well in in, in the Nats minor league system already. The ceiling on those guys both, because the scouting report reads pretty similar for each guy, and a a world, obviously world-class athlete, we're talking about potential pro baseball players, but even among that group, someone who's that big and that strong just simply shouldn't be as fast as they are. Both those guys could be just, just you know, just predator drones out in the outfield, right. running everything down and hitting tanks in, in the middle of this order for years to come. I mean, it never works out, of course, that all the prospects that you think are going to be great become great, or that you know they hit on all those guys. But I'm dreaming about a potential outfield of Elijah Green, James Wood, and Robert Hassel. I mean, that's now what you can kind of salivate about mm-hmm. a little bit if you're the Nationals. And oftentimes, like Victor Robles at one point was a top five prospects in baseball. You, you just, you don't know, you never right? Know. And I, I admit to that, and I get that. Uh, the Mariners had a, a Jared Kelnick, Julio Rodriguez thing basically a year and a half ago where everyone was debating, who would you take, Kelnick or Rodriguez? And it was like, I, I would have guests on my show, and that was a big question every week for prospects people. Who would you rather have, Julio Rodriguez or Jared Kelnick? I mean, think look, look how dumb that sounds now. <laughs> That's when those guys were, were in the upper levels of the minors, oh, by the way. So my point is, it's an inexact science, but you can now start to kind of think about that a little bit. I do love that there's some D.C. ties for James Wood, who's a Rockville, Maryland kid. Super high character from all the people I've talked to that that know him. 
uh, dating back to watch them at IMG Academy and beyond. Um, as I said, a little bit further away, a little more guesswork. I understand that. I was told, and I think this made it made the rounds today with a bunch of reporters, so someone was talking to, to a lot of people, but I was told that the Padres really didn't want to include him in the deal and that Hassel was kind of easier for them to put into the deal than James Wood, which is funny because Hassel's their top guy, according to Pipeline and a lot of other places. But James Wood was the one where it's like, we can't give you Hassel and Wood. And the Nats, probably by packaging Josh Bell, uh, were able to get both of them. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware. Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. Now, the next prospect I want to talk about is Jarlin Susana who they also apparently love. I mean, in fact, Mike Rizzo... Went out of his way, didn't he? He gave a great breakdown uh, on Jarlin Susana. The least known of the... The youngest and least known uh, of the group is is possibly the highest upside of the group. Uh, uh, the, the, that was the, the piece that we really coveted and really wanted after, after the, you know, what we call the elite four. Uh, and, uh, Susanna is a, is a 18 year old, uh, Dominican right-handed pitcher that's six foot six. He's got a good clean delivery. He throws the ball hard. He's 98. We saw him twice in the last week, uh, last two weeks. He's up to 102 miles an hour with a breaking pitch and a good feel for a changeup. Uh, you know, he's a guy that who is high school age, and we believe that he, if he was in this 2022 draft, he'd have been a, he would have been a high to mid first round pick. And uh, we, we that was a that was a, a player that we really coveted. I wanted people to hear that yeah. because Rizzo went hard in the paint. I mean, he just, you know, seems to really like the guy, and I know that he's selling it to the to the fans, and he's going to put him over. And, I mean, you're trying to basically walk out of the, the tunnel as a WWE uh, wrestler trying to get a pop. But it's an 18-year-old who's upper 90s touching 102 in his last start, 155 average against and a .8 whip in rookie ball with 44 punches and 29 innings. You and I saw a video that I was sent from someone mm-hmm. of him throwing. He's so big. He's six six and two forty. And I mean, you just kind of—it's what you're looking for in the front of a rotation. Now I get that this is a lottery ticket because when you're right-handed and a teenager and you throw a hundred, there's probably a, a surgery coming at some point. And I understand all the potential pitfalls down the road, but when you make a trade. And you get an 18-year-old who throws 100 with an 89-mile-an-hour slider back as the last guy in the deal. It's a pretty damn good deal. And not only is he the second guy or the third guy, he's the fifth guy in the deal. 
That's nuts. It is nuts. And, and again, it's easy to dream on. I mean, you could see the upside. You could close your eyes and kind of you know envision that future a handful of years from now, breaking into the big leagues. Um, that video you mentioned, it, it's hard to quantify uh, unless you've seen it. And you guys know this when, when you go. You think about how now everybody throws so hard at the major league level, and even in the minor league level. Heck, in high school, guys are throwing harder than they ever have. And you've we've done all these things with biomechanics, and we've done all these things where we're maximizing torque and leverage and turn and creating resistance and all these different kinds of flexibility things. We know more now than we ever have when it, when it comes to instructing kids and players how to throw harder than they ever have. Well, every generation has a freak. Every generation has a guy like Ken Griffey Jr. who's skinny as a rail but can hit the ball 500 feet. They got a Mickey Mantle, a guy that can hit nukes and also run like a deer. Well, they sometimes also have pitchers that are like that. This kid, when he's just flicking the ball out of his hand, looks like he's throwing in the upper 90s. It looks like it's the most effortless, relaxed, casual thing. It's like, I'd like some M&Ms, 100 miles an hour, and give me a juju fruit. Like, it's unbelievable watching him do it. And that's without kind of harnessing the lightning and all these sort of, again, biomechanical enhancements that everybody has kind of gotten used to. So, of course, you dream on a prospect like that at 18 years old who just looks like he's, you know, oozing with talent and and potential. So, yeah, I mean, I think Rizzo maybe even said that if he was in the draft this year, this would be another first-round pick for them. So just think about what they're adding. Next player we'll get to is a guy who's been in the big league, C.J. Abrams, who was in the majors, really, really struggled, got sent down back in the majors and has been better uh, numbers this year at the major league level for CJ Abrams playing shortstop for San Diego. Haven't been great in 46 games, 232 average 605 OPS. It's been a scuffle for him. You know, in a normal situation, you just let him play and develop the Padres are in win now mode and, and he is expendable defensively. He can stay up the middle. He has played 32 games at shortstop with 28 starts. He's also made a start in right field. He's played a handful of games at second. Uh, in the minor leagues, he's played some center field this season uh, twice, which speaks to his athleticism as well. Uh, but he's, you know, up the middle defender who I think is really interesting because he's, I think people sleep on this. He's 21 years old, man. Mm-hmm. You expect these guys to get to the big leagues and to just right away thrive, and it doesn't always happen that way. In his 30 games in AAA between you know, starting and, and now being back in the major leagues this year, he hit 315 with an 870 OPS, seven home runs in, in about uh, 140 at-bats. I mean, it was kind of the, the, exactly what you're looking for from a AAA player. And at a young age, like four years younger than the competition on average at that level, as a 21-year-old, you're going to hear from Jim Callis. I think he brought this up when we talked to him. But do you realize he's only played total like 106 games of minor league baseball? And he's already played 46 games of Major League Baseball. Very strange. Partially because of the 2020 pandemic where he lost 100 games of development. But, I mean, they didn't slow him down. They're they're the opposite of the Nats. They're aggressive. They're like, okay, you're ready. Go to the next level. Yeah, if if Tatis was playing healthy all this year, he'd still be a triple-A getting in bats every single day. But he was kind of forced into action there at the the big league level because – they're trying to win right now this minute, and right. he was one of the best 25, 26 guys in their org. That's a good point. Right? And they wanted to give him a shot, and he struggled, but he went back down, and he killed it. So they go, well, let's call him back up. Sixth pick in the 2019 draft. You'll notice a lot of these guys, top-of-the-board yep. picks for the Padres. Uh, and he went, you know, that was out of high school, and he went from high school to the major leagues in the span of three years. Not too shabby. He'll start a triple-A, according to what we've seen, for, for the Nationals being able to play every day. And what do you make of this? They, they love doing this bit. They did it with Kbert Ruiz where they say, we're going to let him learn the organization at triple-A, and he'll be up in 10 days or whatever. What does that even mean? I'm not sure exactly what that means, to be honest with you. I, I wish I did. 
I would tell you, I go, oh, I speak Rizzo or I speak Nationals. I don't. I because don't get that. I'm just thinking out loud, and feel free to tell me I'm a fact of a goo, but wouldn't you rather learn the organization at the major? Like, you're going to be in the big leagues in two weeks. So learn where the clubhouse is and where where we get our sunflower seeds from. Yeah, it's like where who, the Chipotle is from your apartment right across from Nats Park. You know, what's the benefit to learning? And I'm using air quotes. You can't see learning the organization at a level that you're not going to be at in a couple of weeks in Rochester. Again, I don't know. I don't know what that means exactly, but I think it just means they 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 don't think he's quite everyday big league ready. And you know, I mean, listen for a club. They essentially that's, said he'll be up in a couple of weeks. Yeah, for a club that's going to lose 110 games, I don't really know what the difference is. That's I, Again, I don't know. I don't quite understand that one. I'll be honest with you. I'm excited to see him when he gets here in two weeks. You keep saying I don't know, and I just keep asking you. Like, what? But why? Well, this is my policy. I invented it. He's going to learn the organization, Grant. Why don't you get it? Here, I guess, is my point. I know it's a small sample. He's 10 for 31 over his last 15 games. That's a 323 average in the major leagues with a playoff-bound Padres team. He can't play for this team in Washington. Luis Garcia is committing an error every four games, basically, at this point. Statistically, maybe it's five, but I think he's he's on average it would be like a 35, 40 error season or something crazy. I need him moved to second base like yesterday, and and just get this guy to the big leagues to play shortstop. With the Padres, he's got an OPS of close to eight hundred over the last two weeks, but the Nats are like, no, 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 he's not ready to play for us. Well, has he learned the organization yet? Answer that question. You can't. I mean, he's twenty one, so whatever. He's young. Uh, last one, Mackenzie Gore, and again, you'll hear uh, our, it's a very quick conversation. We just wanted to get him on the horn for a couple of minutes uh, after the trade to, to try to get to know him a little bit. Um, Mackenzie Gore was at one point in time the best pitching prospect in baseball. He graduated to the major leagues for the Padres this year, and he got off to an unbelievable start this season. He was the front runner for NL Rookie of the Year through like five or six starts. If you go back, uh, through, I'm just looking at it now. In May, in 26 innings, he had a 1.69 ERA. Five games, four starts, and he had a 204 average against. In April, he made three starts, 15 in the third innings, a 1.76 ERA. So basically, April and May combined, a sub-2 ERA and close to 10 starts. Since then, he threw six scoreless in his first start of June. It's been very rocky. His velocity's dropped a little bit. Uh, he got... Rocked by the Rockies, six runs, two and a third. Then he went in cores, got hit around for nine hits and eight runs. Threw five scoreless against the Phillies, but has had a much better month, I'd say, in July. Five and two-thirds, one run against the Dodgers. Um, And then, you know, San Francisco got hit pretty hard, eight hits, eight runs. The last two outings, though, he, you know, he came in and pitched for a batter, and then an inning and a third, he was removed from the game. But both of those were in relief. So I think they saw his velocity was dipping a little bit, maybe, Danny, and they were trying to get creative right after the All-Star break to, to start to save some of the innings or something. But point being, he's on the injured list. He was losing some velocity. His elbow was was barking a little bit. He tells us it's minimal, and I hope that's the case. But you always kind of have to hold your breath. But he was a number three pick who was the number one prospect among all pitchers who Rizzo made it seem like they think is potentially a frontline starter. So I saw happen to catch two of his early games this year in April, back-to-back starts against Cincinnati over the span of a week. And over 10 innings, he gave up one run and struck out 17 hitters. I, I was blown away. So he's my favorite player in this. Now, that's easy to say. It's easy to cherry pick because he was the number one pitching prospect in, in the major leagues not too long ago. Uh, and he's already had some success at the big league level that you touched on. But that dude was just nasty. 
I saw that. Now, I didn't see every start that he's made in San Diego. Obviously, it's hard to, to watch every game uh, that way, especially when they're on the opposite coast. But, you know, so I didn't see some of the slip-ups, the velocity drop, and et cetera. I saw a dude that was 96 to 98. His changeup was nasty. His slider was as good an out pitch as there was. And he could also throw his curveball for a strike just to get you off that. And he was owning the mound. He looked like he looked apart. Like not only was I, hey, I'm happy to be here. I'll throw whatever the catcher says. He looked like the baddest mother in the valley. And having seen that, that's what I can't get out of my mind. Now, granted, that Cincinnati lineup that was at the time where they were losing more games than anybody's ever lost outside of the '89 Orioles to start the season. Cincinnati started the year like one in two hundred and five numbers approximate, and he's shoving on a bad team. I don't care. I saw that dude as dark and filthy and evil as as you're going to see. That's what I want to see again. I'm enticed by that. Yeah, how could you not be? So those are the five players that come back, and then you add in Luke Voigt, who, as I said, I mean, as we tape this podcast here, the Nats are getting ready to play their first game in the post-Soto era, and the lineup includes uh, Manessis at first and Palacios and right. So there's going to be some room for Luke Voigt here as they've called up a couple of Rochester Red Wings over the duration of the season in the game. Uh, where starting pitcher Abbott. I mean, good good luck uh, with Nas fans knowing who that is. Who's who's he playing? Who's he pitching against tonight? Who's his it's, opposite number? Just Jacob Degrom. Cool. Everything's fine. Um, but the lineup first game ever without Juan Soto is Robles, Garcia, Yachty's hitting third, Nelson Cruz, who's still here somehow, <sighs> hitting fourth. K. Barrett Ruiz bats fifth, and then Manessis, Palacios, Hernandez, and Franco. Which it's just funny to say out loud. Oh, man. Uh, all right. How about uh, before we? We wind this down with a couple more takes on the deadline, and then you'll hear some of our chats with uh, some smart people. Josh Bell packaged into the same deal. They did this with Scherzer and yes. Turner for the Dodgers. What do we think about that? So it's interesting. Barry Sfalugo, and you'll hear from him in, in a few moments, um, reference this as well. I, You know, you wonder if you get more if you just have a separate deal that involves Josh Bell straight up for somebody else. Like if you traded Josh Bell, for sake of argument, to the Cardinals, not that they needed him. Would you have gotten one of their mid-level prospects as kind of a rental? Or does it really turn the dial up enough with the Padres to get that one extra prospect, that one extra frontline guy? Because it's Soto, you're really talking about four years total of controllability between the two of them, right? Where you've got one pennant race for Bell and that's it, where you're, he's under control, and then two and a half or so to actually be a total of three. I'm sure my math is good. So maybe that gets you more. I don't know. It's an interesting question, but it seems to be the pattern here of late where you're already in business dealing with one team, you sort of stay dealing with them. And it's like a you know a fantasy trade almost where it's like, hey, I know you need a quarterback, but you, you could also use a third wide receiver in my fantasy deal. So why don't I do a package thing where I give you the best quarterback and the fourth best wide receiver, you give me the second best running back. You sort of do the math that way, and it's kind of worked out. It's interesting that it's happened two straight years, but it's hard to argue with the Hall, especially this year. Bell was a great national. He was a really, really good player. Um, you take away the first six weeks or so after he had COVID, and he really struggled, I always say, chasing his tail when you're trying to get up to speed without you know, the end of spring training and, and then getting healthy. But uh, after that, I thought he was just awesome. And it was a great win of a trade by Rizzo, who wins a lot of the trades that he does. And I give him credit for that. I mean, For all the faults that I have and the issues I have with some of the development and draft things over the years, I mean, they have hit home run after home run yes, in they trades. Have. Um, you know, this one is probably going to be impossible to win because you, you traded Juan Soto. Mm -hmm. You can't win a trade where you trade Juan Soto, but hopefully it, it resets things for them and, and benefits them in, in some way moving forward in, in a different way. Uh, but it, uh, specific to Bell, I'm rooting for him. I love the guy. He did some good things in the community. I love his book club with the kids in D.C. And uh, he was just a great Nat. Hit 300, 877 OPS this year. Swing adjustments, more contact, less strikeouts, and you know, all stuff that I really admire. 
about his game, and uh, he has a chance now to go win. I mean, after years in Pittsburgh and coming here and being part of a bad Nats team the last couple of years. That's a good point. It's cool to see him go to San Diego where they're now chasing a title. He'll be a free agent at year's end, and he's going to get paid. You know, maybe Washington negotiates with him and tries to bring him back. I guess we'll see. Um, all right, rest of the trade deadline. They didn't do anything else. I'm, I'm really shocked I'm by surprised that. by that, aren't you? Why? Like, nobody would have given you a, a baseball for Nelson Cruz. You, you couldn't have gotten a, a sub from Cornucopia for, uh, any, you know, Carl Edwards Jr.? Couldn't have gotten a Carl's Edwards burger. What is it? We talked about Carl's last... Jr. does Carl's the burger. Jerger, yeah. Jr. burger for mm-hmm. Carl's Edwards Jr. What a dad joke. What a bad dad joke. Skip past that. Use your 15 second skip on the podcast on that joke. Um, nothing. We. I'm surprised, man. Thing? So it, it it sort of struck me that, and I really respect them for doing this, obviously, for, for standing in front of the media, but Mike Rizzo and Davey Martinez spoke pregame today at like 4 p.m. and the deadline's at 6 and we aired it on 1067 The Fan on the Grant and Danny show. And the whole time he was he was talking, I'm like, thank you for this, but don't you have to go back to your office? Like, I really appreciate you giving me all these this info, especially how teary it was to say goodbye to Juan Soto. Thank you so much. Could you go field some calls? You gotta move Kyle Finnegan, bro. You gotta you gotta send him somewhere along with Carl Edwards and Steve Ceshek for a bag of baseballs and an Arby's Big Montana. Like, let's go, man. It's time. And I'm really surprised they didn't do anything else, to be honest with you. I get the sense. There may not have been a marketplace at all for some of those, but, you know, some of those veteran uh, relievers they have. I mean, maybe I'm just being silly and foolish because I I play fantasy baseball from my chair. Maybe they view it as there's a value to him as a leader and a veteran in this clubhouse to get us to the finish line. You mean Cruz? Cruz specifically. Yeah. Any of these guys for that matter. Sure. But yeah, I should have specified. I'm talking about Cruz. I would have legitimately traded him for. A, a, a non-prospect, you know, give me the the 33rd guy in your system. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Hey, that double-A outfielder who's not a prospect according to Pipeline or anything. I saw him go three for four a couple days ago. Give me that guy. Why not? What is the point of holding on to him? Uh, I, Edwards, I thought, would be traded. Ciszek, I thought, pitching the way that he did. I think he'd been scoreless in 13 of his last 14 or something like that. Uh, has been good. Um, you know, they, they couldn't make that work. I don't know, Rasmo Ramirez. Like, teams don't just want Jag relievers. I, I, you always see Jag relievers traded at the deadline. I'm just stunned. It was one trade. Now, luckily, they 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 got the trade done to get all the prospects back. And they, they got Bell and Soto done in one fell swoop. But I don't know. Even if they would have traded the controllable quality Kyle Finnegan in the back of their bullpen and gotten two or three arms a la what the Orioles have been doing the last few days, like, that would have made sense to me. Well, my final thought on, on this with those guys is we have spoken directly to Mike Rizzo on the record, off the record, everything in between. We, you and I both know exactly how he feels about bullpens and bullpen arms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll do it later. I mean, they, the, the 98 win team in 2012 had Brad Lidge and Henry Rodriguez as co-closers. They won mid nineties games with Rafael Soriano. They had, you know, plans on the fly each and every year, even when they were an excellent team, they'd have a garbage bullpen and Rizzo would trade some middling prospect to to go get your Daniel Hudson and the Sean Doolittles and, and, and whatever else just to just to make it happen. I'm really stunned he didn't move on from those guys for like you're talking about. Who's who's your 64th best prospect in the organization right now? A 27-year-old at A-ball? Sold. Come on, pick him up. Send him our way. You know, like we'll, we'll get you a Greyhound ticket and a and uh, and and a, and a Powerade. I don't know. It was weird, man. 
So there's more to cover and there's more angles to tackle and we can get into the fact that the 19 era is over and, and they didn't keep any of those guys. Uh, but we're not going to do it all in this podcast, obviously. Wanted to just give you something quick and reactionary here this evening that you can uh, enjoy while you cut the grass or go to work or whatever it is that you're doing.